Well, so we, we've started our, our new uh, series last week, and, and for those of you that weren't here, uh, the series is called The Greatest Sermon Ever. I am not preaching The Greatest Sermon Ever. Uh, this is a tribute to The Greatest Sermon Ever, which Jesus preached 2,000 years ago. So uh, please don't feel like uh, I'm, I'm saying that I'm, I've got The Greatest Sermon Ever. Jesus had The Greatest Sermon Ever, and it's just uh, a privilege to be able to preach from what he preached. And so, uh, so this morning we are, we're on week two. And uh, so just a little bit of, a, of an overview, we, we did a bit of an overview last week of, of the whole uh, sermon, which is found in Matthew 5 um, through to 7, so Matthew 5 through to 7, and, and Jesus uh, sat on, the, on a hill and, and, and a whole lot of people gathered to hear what Jesus had to say. Um, and, and I think the best way to think about it is that Jesus uh, was giving his kingdom manifesto. Jesus came to the earth and he, and he he brought the kingdom of heaven with him. He, he said, you know, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here, it's now, and I'm bringing the kingdom with me. And then he, he sat on a hill and gave his kingdom manifesto. So he gave, this is what the kingdom is about. And so between chapter 5 and chapter 7 is probably the most precise and profound teaching uh, packed together that Jesus uh, ever did. So the questions that we sort of asked last week is, is what is it and what isn't it? And who is it for? And so, so first of all, what, what it, is it or what isn't it? This, this is not a, a, a passage or a sermon about, about how to get to heaven and avoid hell. That's, that's not what this is about. Uh, they are absolutely very much realities, but this is not what this uh, sermon is about. And if we read that into the text, we get into all sorts of trouble. Um, if we read that into the text, then it, it works really well when we're talking about not murdering people. But when it talks about don't worry, uh, we're all screwed. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's just not what Jesus uh, was talking about. Um, and maybe just to, to clarify, uh, because recently I, I maybe talked about some of this stuff with someone, and they took from that that I don't believe in hell. That is not what I'm saying. It's just not what Jesus was talking about in this passage. Is that, is that cool? Um, and so what is it? What is it? It, it is, it is a, um, it's, it's the kingdom manifesto about what do we now do and how do we live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, as, as carriers of another culture, the life and culture of heaven, how do we now live that, that we are now in right standing with God? How do we bring the kingdom of heaven into the earth? But because we, we are the carriers of that. Uh, you know, I just read uh, or quoted from Ephesians 1.23 that, the church is the, the way that God wants to bring the kingdom of heaven into the earth. Through the church, he acts and wills to saturate everything with his presence. And, and so, so this is about how do we now live that we are in right standing with God. Um, uh, Pastor Peter McHugh, um, I, I read from his book briefly last week, but he, he said this statement, which I thought uh, was uh, a very challenging statement and something that we should all uh, think about. He said that most people have repented enough to be forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom. And, and repentance is about renewing our mind, about, about changing the way we think. And literally, this is what happened when, when John the Baptist came uh, before Jesus, he was the forerunner for Jesus, and he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand. What was he saying? He is saying, it's time to change your mind about what you think about God, because the kingdom is coming. That's what that word repent means. It's to change the mind. It's to renew the mind, to think differently. 
And so some of us, uh, potentially because of, of uh, we have only uh, learnt or, or been taught or have understood a, a limited kingdom gospel, we have, we have only understood that I must forgive so that I can go to heaven one day. Uh, sorry, I must repent so I can go to heaven one day, but it's a lot bigger than that. It's a lot bigger than that. It's actually about the kingdom is here now and how do we become ministers of this gospel of the kingdom. So, so it's not about how do we get to heaven when we die, but how do we participate in the kingdom now that it's here? So the passage we're going to look at this morning is uh, in chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. The narrow and wide gates. And uh, let's, let's read that uh, together. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. Father, we thank you uh, for what you are doing in this, in this church and, and through us. And Father, we thank you that uh, you, you sent Jesus. Man, we are so grateful. We thank you, Jesus, that you did what we could not do. And Father, we, we thank you that, that through your life, through your death and through your resurrection, we have new life, a, a new way of living, a new way of acting. And we thank you that, that uh, uh, through the Sermon on the Mount, you taught us what it means to live and participate in the kingdom. And Father, we want to be a church that do that. We want to be a church that sees your kingdom come on earth, just as your will be done. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, um, so last week I, I had a picture of an iceberg, and uh, I don't, if you weren't here last week, if you've never seen a picture of an iceberg, there's there's a lot more above the sorry, there's a lot more under the water than there is above, and and uh, you know when you see an iceberg floating on the water, you, you just see the tip of the iceberg. You know that's where we get the the phrase the tip of the iceberg, but underneath is is a whole lot more. And so what Jesus was doing through this sermon is, is he was exposing what really lies underneath our behavior. And so, so we, as humans, we, we look at, at behavior um, and we judge each other by our behavior. But who knows that, that we judge each other by our behavior, but then judge ourselves by our intentions. Why, why do we do that? Because we can see what's underneath the iceberg. We can see what's underneath the water in our own lives, and we know what our intentions are and what our motives are. But when we look at other people, we only see their actions and their behaviours. And so what Jesus is doing through this sermon is he's actually um, lifting the covers, so to speak, or exposing what's really going on underneath and exposing the belief systems that control our behaviour. Because behaviour is always the echo of belief. And so he's pulling us out of the old covenant, which was behavior management, pulling us into the new covenant, which is belief management. And that's really freeing, isn't it? Thank God that we no longer live under a behavior management covenant. But, but, so, so this is what Jesus is doing with this sermon. Um, so, so we look at this, this passage here. And the, I think the first thing that we should notice or take heed to is that the gates are at the start, not the end. The gates are at the start, not the end. This is not about, look, you've got to follow the narrow road your whole life so that you can get through the gate at the end. No, no, this is, you make a choice at the beginning of your life and the choices you make are either going to lead to life or they're going to lead to destruction. And so this, these are the choices uh, uh, that we have. 
So, so what is it saying about, uh, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So here's the truth. There are only a few that have made a decision to follow Jesus that will live a genuinely surrendered and obedient lifestyle. Most will choose their own way. Most will choose their own way. The narrow road is the road of surrender, not effort. This is not about, about you have to exert a lot of effort to behave right to get through the right gate. This is not what it's about. This is about following the narrow road as a life of surrender, not effort. It's about giving up our life so that we can inherit true life. See, the broad road is effort to find success in life. So, so let me put it, put it like this. We have two choices in life. We either surrender our will to his will and discover real life, or we try really, really hard in our own effort to get life on our own terms. And this is what Jesus is talking about. So last week I talked about choices, fruit, and foundations. Following on from this passage, we've got the narrow road, which is about choices. Then Jesus talks about fruit. Then he talks about foundations. Basically, he's saying this. All of our choices in life will bear fruit. Every choice has a consequence. It's either going to be a good fruit or be a bad fruit. And then it's going to create the foundations for our life. And we're either going to have stable foundations or unstable foundations, depending on the choices that we make. And so this whole idea of choices is interwoven right through the story of the Bible. Uh, the very first story of the Bible is about choices, isn't it? We've got the Garden of Eden, and we have two trees, the tree of life and the tree of judgment. We've got Adam and Eve that, that uh, you know, and, and for many of us will we'll know the story, we know that, that Adam and Eve make the wrong choice, don't they? Uh, the other day I was um, with my son Israel, and, and he was doing something, and I, and I, I said to him, hey, you know, Israel, stop doing that. And he turned around and goes, he says to me, oh, well, it's all Adam and Eve's fault. <laughs> I'm like, what, what do you mean? He's like, well, they stuffed up in the garden, and, and now, I, now I have to live with the consequences. <laughs> you know, it's, it's their fault that I'm misbehaving. And so... So I, I, I use this as an opportunity to teach him. I said to him, no, 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 we are Adam and Eve. The, the story of Adam and Eve is not just about the, the beginning of, of creation, but it's a, it's a story that, that, says, uh, that is us. Adam means humanity and, li- and Eve means life. This is our story, that, that every day we have the choice between life and destruction. We have the choice between life and death. But this is, this is our story, and so I explained that uh, to him, and now, now we have uh, this thing going uh, where if he's misbehaving, I just say, you're barking up the wrong tree. Um, but, but, but the point is this, is that, that one tree is a tree of life, and the other tree is the tree of judgment. So what happened after Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the wrong tree? What did they do? They judged themselves. We are naked and ashamed. They judged God. We're afraid of you. And then they judged others. It was Eve's fault. And Eve goes, oh, what's the serpent's fault? So, so eating of the tree of judgment will result in us heading down a pathway where we judge others, judge ourselves, and judge God. 
And where does that pathway lead us to? Destruction. See, the trajectory, fruit, and foundations of our lives are defined by our yes and our no. By our yes and our no. Our lives are defined by yes and no. Every day we have choices, choices that lead to life, choices, choices that lead uh, to disrepair, choices that lead to wholeness, choices that lead away from wholeness. Every day we're faced with choices. Uh, here's, here's the thing that I want to encourage you or, or try and unpack a little bit for us this morning. And it's this. If our yes to Jesus is not bigger than the yes to ourselves, then we will sit, never say no when it counts. Right? Our yes to Jesus has to be the biggest yes in our lives. Because the biggest yes in your life will define or, or will, will determine when you say no to things. And the biggest thing that, that is in opposition to our yes to him is our yes to ourselves. I, I want to get life on my own terms. I, I want to decide what's right and what's wrong. I, I want to be the judge. I, I want to be the one who decides what's good and what's bad. I want to be the judge. And so we start to live our lives actually about ourselves rather than him. So the yes to Jesus has to be bigger than our own selfish desires. What we choose to say yes to and what we choose to say no to define us. Absolutely define us. And Jesus came to give us freedom. It was for freedom's sake that Christ set you free. And the question that we must all ask ourselves is, now that we have been given freedom, what are we going to do with it? Are we going to use our freedom to partner with him and participate in his kingdom? Or are we going to use our freedom for our own benefit? This is the choice that we have every day. So following Jesus is living by a more profound yes. It's living with a kingdom first vision. It's living a life that is, that is intentional and purposeful. And so, so if you're following the narrow road, if you've read into this text that this is about heaven and hell, you, you are following the, if you're following the narrow road to, to get to heaven and avoid hell, you are living a life defined by the no's, not by a more profound yes. And, and this is not about the no's. When we live by a more profound yes, we are living with a sense of a vision for our lives that is a bigger yes. We're called to live by a bigger yes. And, and when we have a vision for our lives, it gives sacrifice purpose, it gives pain purpose. Come on, when we have a vision for our lives, a kingdom vision for our lives, that's the thing that makes us want to wake up earlier. To get into his word, that's the thing that wants to make us wake, wake up earlier to pray. So it's when we are living by a bigger yes. But I, I, I would challenge you that if you're living life by the nose, it won't motivate you. In fact, it is a fear-driven perspective. See, our, our no is defined by a more profound yes. When, when I have a more profound yes, I will say no. Because my vision is bigger than my no. Um, Shane Willard describes it like this. He says, most of us have this type of experience where we say, we say yes to Jesus and then the yes is followed by a list of no's. And I don't know about you, but that was my upbringing. You know, if you've grown up maybe in a Christian family, potentially you grew up with, um, we don't do all of these things because we're a Christian. Is that familiar with anyone? Yeah. 
But we don't, <laughs> yeah. uh, we don't do all of these things because we're, we're a Christian. Uh, uh, my, my passion and my heart is that as a parent that, that, I could, that I could model for my children what it looks like to live by a more profound yes so that the no's have a reason, so that the no's have a purpose. Because following Jesus is living with a big yes. It's living with a big yes. And if we don't model this for our children, they will think that following Jesus is just a list of no's. And why do we do this? It's fear. It's actually a fear-based perspective. We're fearful about our children. We're fearful um, about potentially our own lives. And we, so we start to define our lives and we teach our children to live by the nose instead of a more profound yes. I want my children to follow Jesus because they see the fire in my heart, not because they're fearful. So what happens what happens? Yeah, I want to just take a slight detour. What, what happens when we define our lives by our no? I, I want to try and help you this morning to potentially get a perspective and, and maybe to, to, to work out, am I living my life by the no's or, or by a more profound yes? You know, am I following the, the narrow way? Have I said a big yes to Jesus and, and so I'm following the narrow way because I, because I love him? So, so let, let me help you with this. So what happens when we define our lives by our no? What happens is that we have to find a scapegoat. We, we have to find a scapegoat in our lives. So, so rather than comparing our walk of faith with the life of Jesus, we compare our life of faith with one another. Yeah, so, so, so we, we need a scapegoat. We need to find someone that sins worse than us so that we can feel better about our own life. Uh, that was never meant to be the way. In fact, what tree is that? It's the tree of judgment. I need to judge how everyone else is acting to make me feel better about my own walk with Jesus. It's the tree of judgment. Not the tree of life. So what happens is we start to live by comparison. And comparison is the thief of all joy. Um, as some of you know, I'm currently um, writing a book, and I haven't written any in it for ages. But I want to—I read just a little bit from my book about um, comparison, um, and, and this is taken from the the, the parable of the prodigal son. I, I, I want to read it this morning because I think it will be helpful. It says this: There are three sons in the prodigal son parable. And the standard of our lives is not to the one that is lost to rebellion or the one lost to religion, but to the son telling the story. Comparing ourselves to each other undermines what Jesus did on the cross and undermines who you have now become. I'm not comparing myself to your standard. I'm comparing myself to my sonship in Christ. Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians 10. He said, of course, we wouldn't dare to put ourselves in the same class or compare ourselves with those who rate themselves so highly. They compare themselves to one another and make up their own standards to measure themselves by. And then they judge themselves by their own standards. 
What self-delusion? If you're finding yourself comparing yourself to others around you, you're living your life by the nose. See, when insecure children play the comparison game, they eventually corner the father to choose a child, and this is not love. It's manipulation. Finding freedom from comparison is an important step in moving towards the father's house. There's no room for comparison in the father's house as there is no better Christians there. We are all sons and daughters equally loved, equally valued, equally wanted, and equally needed. A.W. Tozer writes, An infinite God can give all of himself to each of his children. He, he does not distribute himself that each may have a part, but to each one he gives all of himself as fully as if there were no others. See, when we can grasp this truth as a revelation, we are no longer comparing ourselves against one another, but comparing our lives to the life of Christ, who is the ultimate example of a son filled with the Holy Spirit and surrendered to the will of the Father. He came to reveal the Father and then bridge us back to the Father's house. I wonder if the church's primary goal was to pursue Christ-likeness and reveal the Father, how different and attractive it might be to the many people outside the church who find the message of Jesus irresistible, but the community that has been entrusted with this message to often be quite resistible. So that's just a little bit from my book, but I want to suggest to you this morning that true freedom, true freedom in Christ is freedom from comparison. True freedom in Christ is when I, I no longer interact with people with an agenda. I, I no longer interact with people to try and manipulate them. I, I no longer interact with people so that, so that I, I can uh, you know, l find my own sense of, of worth. I, I no longer say yes or no to things with an agenda. Or so that people will like me. Or so that I will feel accepted or, or worthy. No, no, I'm free to say yes or no to whatever I choose to say yes or no to. But, but I live my yes by a more profound yes. So this is what true freedom is. This is what true freedom is. Scapegoating makes us sin conscious instead of sun conscious. We feel we are defined by our level of sin compared to others, so rather, than our, so rather than our sonship. When comparison is the name of the game, the result is always shallow friendships, poor discipleship, and broken relationships. Every ship inevitably crashes and sinks when we don't know our sonship. At the moment, I'm working on a message for conference around this whole idea of sonship. And, and I'm convinced that our sonship is defined by obedience. That, that when Jesus came to model us to us what it looks like to, to live as a son, that he showed us that his life was submitted to the will of the Father. And that, that our, our sonship is defined by obedience. In the sense that, that when everyone else is going right and Jesus says goes left, that, that we do that. When everyone else is arguing about who's right and wrong, and we take the low road of humility. When everyone is demanding justice, you take the low road of forgiveness. 
When everyone else is gossiping, it, it stops with you. When everyone else is judging, you take the low road of mercy. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, follow the narrow road. Not many people will do it. Why? Because, because we want justice. We, we, we want to, to be right. We, we have this innate need to, to feel, and we feel good about being right. But Jesus is actually saying, no, following the narrow road is not about behavior. It's about what you think. It's what about what you think about him and what you think about others. Like I said last week, that, that to love God is to love others. And to love others is to love God. You cannot, you cannot separate them. You cannot separate them. So in the book of Jeremiah, um, there's probably only two descriptions in the Bible that, that really describe what it means to, to know God, to, to know Him and to love Him. And one of those is in Jeremiah. And essentially it says this, to know God is to feed the poor and to care for those that are less fortunate than us. This is practically the only definition in the Bible that we have. And, and what, what does that mean? It means this, that to know God is to love others. To know God is to love others. See, eternal life is to know God in the person of Jesus Christ. This, this knowing relationship involves internalizing the radical nature of God's love for us. It changes us as a natural process and we extend that same love to those around us. In 1 John 4, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another. Because love comes from God. Whoever loves is a child of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. See, love for others in this passage is the same as knowing God. Right, so, so when, we, when we talk about the, the narrow way and the broad way, it's important that we understand that, that you cannot live on accident. You cannot live on accident. Some people choose to live on accident. Some people choose to live on accident. Life just happens to them. Life's just happening to me. Oh, my goodness. You know, like this is happening and, and that's happening and life's just happening to us. But I would like to suggest that that life doesn't just happen to us. There are some suddenlies in our lives. Sometimes there are things that hit us that we weren't pre prepared for or aren't necessarily the fruit of our choices. Uh, Ali and I have had, had that in, in our family just in the, in the last um, week or two. But most things in our lives that happen to us are the fruit of our choices. They are the fruit of our choices. See, no one chooses the narrow road by accident. You know, no one accidentally follows the narrow road. Just like no one accidentally has a good marriage. Hey, you know, like, does anyone accidentally have a good marriage? Anyone here that just sort of fell into a good marriage? Sarah, you're looking very lovingly at Jake there. Maybe you did. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, Ellie and I, when we first got married, we, we made a choice at the beginning of our marriage. So this is how, uh, how it looked for us. Uh, we met. Three weeks later, we went to marriage counselling. And within five months, we were married. I, I, don't, I don't recommend that 
to, to anyone. It worked for us, but I know it doesn't always work for everyone. But, but we made a choice at the beginning of our marriage. We said, we will go to every marriage course that is available, whether we are doing well or not. Because our marriage is really important and we want to be intentional about having a great marriage. And so we made a choice. Now we live in the fruit of that choice that we made a long time ago. And so, do you know what I mean? Like, like we, we live in the fruit of our choices. We, we made a good choice back then. There's other things that maybe we haven't made great choices about and we live in the fruit of that. But do you know what I mean? Like no one has great finances accidentally. Do you know what I mean? Like no one, no one just lives and all of a sudden everything is perfect. It just, it's just not the way it works. We, we live with the fruit of our choices. And so Jesus is saying that following him is a life defined by intentionality. No one follows the narrow road by accident. People do not fall suddenly. They were on the road for a long time. They just didn't realize it. Uh, does anyone have, um, I was going to say, does anyone have a car? Most people have a car. Does anyone have a car with like a check engine light on it? So I guarantee that all of you probably do. It's just not come on. But we, we have a car at the moment that the check engine light comes on um, every time we go up a hill. And um, I think it's the gearbox. But anyway, um, but every time we go to take it to the garage, the check engine light's gone off again. And so they can't check it until the light. Anyway. But when I was younger, I, I, when I had a car that had a check engine light come on and I, I needed to, to get a warrant and you can't get a warrant with a check engine light on. And so I took it to a garage and the guy said to me, oh, I know a really cheap way to fix that. I said, oh yeah, what's that? He said, just take the bulb out and the light won't go anymore and then you can get your warrant. Uh, <laughs> but, but who knows that sometimes we have check engine lights in our life. Yeah, there's, there's, there's warning signs and there's things that, that happen in our life that are like check engine lights and sometimes we can just take the easy way and maybe flick the, the bulb out, eh? Yeah, let's just ignore that. If I can just ignore that, maybe it will go away. And, and then years down the track potentially or months or weeks down the track, we're confronted with this thing that we didn't want to address. And, and sometimes our, our marriages can be like that. Our finances can be like that. You know, let's just get another credit card. Let's just, let's just avoid that situation. Let's just put it to the side. Let, let's just not talk about that. But Jesus is saying, actually following him is a life of intention. And, and this is actually about your life. This is actually about the way you live and the way that you think and the way that you think about, about others. And so, so what happens is, is we start to eat from the tree of judgment and we judge God, we judge others and we judge ourselves. Why? Because the easiest thing to do in life is to blame someone else, isn't it? Yeah? Well, it's Ali's fault that our marriage is not good. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, it's not my fault that my finances are, are in a mess. But, but Jesus is saying, hey, there's actually a way that leads to life. And, and if you listen and, and obey, you, you will discover what true life is like. And, and, it's, and, and, and if we follow it on and we see that, that the storms of life come, the storms of life still come, don't they? You know, the, the crap still hits the fan occasionally, but, but because of the choices that we've made and the fruit from the choices we've made, our life is stable. And, and so we weather the storm. And we keep going. We can still praise through the midst of the trial. We can still push through because, because we know that He is good. 
When I was, um, when I was about 18, I, I said yes to Jesus. And um, I, I said yes to Jesus, and then I knew that there was a whole list of no's. Like there was a whole list of things that I couldn't do anymore that now that I'd said yes to Jesus. And that was okay because like I wanted to follow Jesus and, and I wanted to stop doing some of these things. And I've told you, you guys about some of these things before, but um, swearing and drinking were the two things that I just really struggled with, with, with stopping. Um, and, and, and so I was, I was really struggling. And the, the, why was I struggling with them? Because I was trying in my own effort to stop them. I had said yes to Jesus, and then I had a list of no's. What I hadn't yet discovered was a more profound yes. And there was this moment with God where, where I just got so messed up by Him, and I, and I would say this, I, I discovered why I was alive. I, I discovered why I was on this earth. And, and now I started to live with a more profound yes. And it was so much easier to put aside the things that were dragging me the wrong way. Because now I was living with a more profound yes. I was living with a kingdom vision. I was living with a sense of purpose about why I'm on this earth. And, and who knows that our identity is not just about who we are and whose we are, but it's also why are we here? Why am I on this earth? Do, do I have a vision that is bigger than myself? Or is my vision about myself? So let's talk about vision. And then, then we'll close. Maybe the worship team uh, can, can come back. That'd be great. So uh, I've got uh, Proverbs 29, 18 here, and just in a few different versions. But it says here, where, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. And, and, and some versions say that people live wildly or, or they live you know, with, without restraint. To live without restraint means this, that, that we will not put restraint on our lives if we don't have a vision for our lives. But because vision gives sacrifice purpose. If you have no vision for your life, you will never wake up early. If you have no vision for your life, you'll never say no to some things that you need to say no to. Vision gives the, all of those things purpose. Uh, I was listening to Shane Willard the other day, and he said something really interesting. He said, I, I don't believe that, that many people actually, that you know, we say maybe have an anger problem, actually have an anger problem. I, I believe that they have misplaced energy problem. If you have no vision bigger than the anger you have all this pent-up energy that's meant to be used to do something that matters, but because there is no vision, life is just happening to you instead of, living, of you living with a focus and a goal that gives you a purpose to wake up and smash the day in the face. You are letting life happen to you, and how frustrating that must be. When potentially we don't have an anger problem, we have a vision problem. So you can't live accidentally. Who knows that we don't accidentally forgive people? Has anyone accidentally forgiven someone? You know, like someone, someone does something, you're offended, and then you wake up one morning and you're like, oops, I accidentally forgave that person. I really wanted to be mean to them. Or, like you just don't accidentally forgive someone. It takes intention. It takes purpose. And so if, if, I, have a, if I have a vision, sorry, that was the rugby. <laughs> I, I clicked the wrong button. That was the rugby popping up from last night. Anyway, what a good game. Anyway, 
so, so if I have a vision for my life that doesn't include being imprisoned by fear, shame, and bitterness, guess what? I'm going to choose to forgive every time. Because my vision for my life does not include fear, shame, and bitterness, so I'm going to forgive. Come on, what's your vision for your life? Is it, is it bigger than yourself? You can start playing. That'd be awesome. Thanks. So there's five types of vision. I heard Chris Hodges. I'm just going to finish with this. Recently, he talked about five types of vision. Let's see where maybe you sit with these. Potentially, you have no vision. Life's just happening to you. You're just going from day to day and life is just happening. And potentially, if you're in that frame of mind, you're going to be blaming others. It's not your fault. You're going to be blaming God. It's His fault. And maybe, maybe you're going to start blaming yourself. There's no vision. The next one, a wrong vision. Who's your vision about? Is it about you? Or is it about others? Is it about His kingdom? Maybe you have a wrong vision. But on our wall, we have, have these things. You, you belong. You can live free. You do have a purpose and you are significant. There's a big difference between someone that wants to live a significant kingdom life and someone that wants to be successful. The, the difference is this. Success is when I want to add value to myself. Significance is when I want to add value to others. There's lots of people that want to be successful. There's very few that want to be significant. Maybe you have a wrong vision. Maybe you have a stale vision. Maybe the vision for your life has gone dry. Maybe you just lost your passion. Something needs to be reignited. Maybe you have a vague vision. It's just sort of out there. I kind of want to do this and I kind of want to do that. There's another passage that says, write down the vision, make it plain so that you can run with it. Make it clear. Write it down. Have you written down your vision for your life? It's your homework for this week. The last one is a kingdom first vision. A kingdom first vision. What does a kingdom first vision looks like, look like? It's, it's God honouring. It's culture defying. And what, what does that mean? It means when we look around at our society and, and we see the things that, that maybe we know aren't part of God's kingdom, we say, I'm going to have a vis- vision that's going to bring the kingdom of heaven into this culture. It's culture defying. It's heaven impacting. And we're going, to see, we're going to see lost people come home. The kingdom first vision is about others. It's about, it's about seeing people come home. And the last thing is it will, it will seem impossible. It will seem impossible. The kingdom first vision. Do you have a kingdom first vision for your life? Do you have a kingdom vision for your finances? Do you have a kingdom vision for your family? Do you have a kingdom vision for your home? Do you have a kingdom vision for your church? The last thought here 
we have implications when we when we live intentionally pursuing the narrow way we are more grounded and unanxious because we are intentionally pursuing our purpose we are not imprisoned to worry discontentment and comparison no one forgives feeds gives and feeds the poor or serves others on accident takes intention takes intention Jesus calls us to live by a more profound yes purpose without process is empty process without pain is meaningless purpose and process and pain produces power filled momentum why don't you stand with me this morning Through this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is explaining for us that, that in the kingdom, everything is opposite. You want to be successful? Serve others. It's always, always opposite. So when it comes to a vision, a vision for our lives, I, I just have this sense this morning that that maybe there are some people here that um, are maybe frustrated or you've had vision before and it just, maybe it's gone stale. And maybe you're just feeling the sense of, I don't know, even maybe a little bit of anger about that, a little bit of frustration. When it comes to a kingdom first vision, a vision that puts his kingdom first, it, it always starts and it always ends with serving others. It always starts and it always ends with serving others. So sometimes we can have a, a vision for our lives and we know, because we hear it all the time, that it starts with serving but sometimes we can see serving as a way to get to the top. But I would like to suggest to you that when we, when we follow Jesus and we follow His example, serving is not a way to the top, it's our nature. And so it doesn't matter what position you have, what role you have, your nature stays the same, one of a servant. Doesn't matter if you're at the top or at the bottom, your nature stays the same. Serving others, serving others, serving others, serving others, serving others. This is the narrow way. This is the narrow way. Serving others, serving others, serving others, serving others. You know, Paul made it pretty clear. He said, you know what? Everyone wants to be the super apostles, but if only they knew that it meant that you had to die. significance has nothing to do with worldly success, it has nothing to do with notoriety, it has nothing to do with being at the top in fact significance in the kingdom means that you lay down and let everybody else walk over you 
boy, it's worth it. It's when you discover true life. When Jesus said, come, follow me, and then He spread His arms and died. (laughs) Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we wouldn't have to. He died on the cross as an example for us to follow. But when we do, we find true life. It's the narrow way. It's the narrow way. Father, we thank You for every person here this morning. We thank You that You are are so good to us all. Father, we thank You that, that when we are just trying to find our way in life and trying to figure this thing out. What, what does it mean to participate and live in the kingdom? Father, I, I, I thank you that you have so much grace for us as we figure this out. But Father, I, I thank you that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we, we are not doing this in our own effort. And that following the narrow way is not about effort, but about surrender. It's, a, it's not about striving, but about rest. It's not about, about doing everything. It's, it's actually about doing what you ask us to do and doing it with all of our lives. So I pray this morning that we would just have a fresh revelation of what it means to follow you, of what it means to live with a kingdom first vision, of what it means to live with a, a vision that's bigger than ourselves, with a, with a sense of purpose and a sense of call that, that, that is, that is to, to serve others and to love others like you have loved us. Father, I pray that that, that would be our hearts this morning. That would be what we say yes to. That, that, that we would know what it means to live by a more profound yes a more profound yes. And we wouldn't define our lives by the no's, but we would define our lives by the yes. The yes to you. The yes to your kingdom. The yes to your people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Stay.